Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. India's Daughter chronicles a brutal gang rape and murder that shocked a nation. Stay tuned as we go Center Stage with Leslie Udwin, director of India's Daughter. This has got to be one of the most powerful documentaries I've seen in a long time. It really touched me to the core. I was just floored by what happened to this, uh, to this bright young woman. Tell me how you found this story and, and how you went about chronicling it. Mark, I think in, in a very similar way to what you've just described, I felt that way when the news of this particularly horrific gang rape exploded across the television screens, certainly of Europe and I believe of the world. Um, but it wasn't at that point that I decided that I had to make a film about this subject. It was the response to the rape that moved me to an unimaginable degree. Um, I just was so inspired and awestruck and full of admiration and gratitude, actually, to witness these scores, hundreds of thousands of people thronging the streets with a passion that was beautiful. And it seemed to me that change was, uh, you know, being heralded by that mass mobilization of civil society demanding a change crying enough is enough our women have been violated and disrespected for long enough we want to see a safe free and equal world for women quite apart from crying for justice for this particular uh, girl in in this case and i took it personally mark I thought, here are these people, day after day, that was the other thing, that they were so tenacious. They went on for over a month. Now, after a week of witnessing these uplifting, extraordinary sights, I saw the government crack down on them so fiercely, and that hurt me really badly. Because these protesters had been beautiful, had been peaceful, the protests were run on Gandhian lines and a threatened government, threatened, I suppose, uh, by a society demanding that they do something about these violations of the human rights of women and girls, threatened by a fear of civil uh, war, probably, because these numbers of people on the streets were unprecedented. They hadn't seen sites like that since independence in 1947. Um, and they cracked down on them, as you saw in the film, with water hoses and, uh, you know, tear gas shells and police beating up innocent and beautiful protesters. Um, and that is the point at which I decided, that's it, I have to do something. I can't just sit here uh, in my armchair being horrified by the rape and admiring them. I have to actually get out there and join those protests. And when I say join the protests, I mean in the way that I can in my metier as a filmmaker. I knew then that I had to amplify their voices in the shape of a film, a documentary. There's uh, an interview with uh, her mother in the film, and she says, when her daughter was in the hospital, we were by her side, but we were helpless mm -hmm. to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then I think about what you did 
to to go out there and and to try to give a voice to what had happened, to try to give a voice to this young woman and women all over the world that are being sexually assaulted? My aim, I suppose, was trifold in setting out. The first thing I knew I had to do was, as I've just said, amplify the voices I was so grateful to because they were fighting for my rights. Um, and I, I should point out also on that point that I have never to date seen any other country do that. India is so admirable in this. They led the world by example. And that was, you know, the one absolute imperative for me. The other was to document and pay tribute to and find out what life has been lost here. Because in India, you're not allowed to name a rape victim. So she was just known as that 23-year-old medical student who went to the movies and got gang-raped and killed. And that was it. A life snuffed out. I wanted to know and pay tribute to who we had lost. And my God, when I found out who she was, it makes it, you know, I mean, any loss of life is heartbreaking. But when you know that this girl stood up to the restrictive patriarchal society that tried to crush her hopes and dreams, her aspirations, she wanted to be a medical doctor since the earliest age. The society deemed her as a girl not to be, you know, requiring education. And she had to really fight for it. She fought at every turn. She fought to overturn these prejudices. When she saw a man staring at her on a street, she would stop in her tracks and look him in the eyes and say, what are you staring at? I'm not your property. And, you know, she was an extraordinary young woman with dreams of building a hospital in her parents' ancestral village and helping the poor and particularly women. And that was the life snuffed out. So that was, you know, the second part of my objective and endeavor here was to document that loss and the third and absolute imperative for me was to find a meaningful answer to the question why why does this violence happen with such alarming regularity across our world not just in india as we know but globally and the only way i could get that answer in a meaningful way was to interview the rapists was to go to the source of the action and find out what is in the heads of men who do this. That must have been very, very hard to talk with these men and to hear their responses because the things that they say, I, I, I was just, uh, I, I could not believe it. It's, it's, the victim is the, is the one that needs to explain why this happened and, and just the way that they justify, they justify uh, the treatment of women well, here's the really strange thing, Mark. The whole journey is characterized by a complete reversal of expectation on pretty much every level. Everything I thought would be one way was another. I was so sure that I would be A, distraught, and B, angered. I thought I'd be furious as I sat opposite these men. And so much so that I actually decided to practice on other rapists because this is my first documentary i've never interviewed people before and the really significant factor is this when i was 18 
I'm one of those women, one in five, who's raped. I was raped at 18. And I'm ashamed to have to say I didn't report this rape. If I had remembered the man's name in later years, I would have done, but I don't even remember his name. And for 20 years, I kept this silent. I didn't even tell my best friend. And I worried that as I sat there opposite them, all of this might well up inside me. I might physically assault one of them. I thought I'd feel so disgusted, etc. So I decide to practice on other rapists. One of these other rapists had raped a five-year-old girl. And I have a daughter who was 13 when I left her to go and make this film in India. It was incredibly difficult, but I didn't feel what I assumed I would feel. I didn't feel any anger, not for one second, in 31 hours of interviewing seven rapists. And the reason I didn't feel anger is because it was so utterly obvious to me that these men had been robotically programmed, taught how to think of women a certain way. And when I learned about their backgrounds, when I learned about, you know, how they will have seen their mothers beaten up by their fathers, the, the guy who raped the five-year-old girl, his father used to punish him by leaving him out on a balcony without food for several days. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that I had pity for, for the rapist's um, personal circumstances. What I'm saying is I had pity for the world that teaches these men that violence is okay, that teaches these men that women have to behave in a restricted and particular way, and if they don't, then they're fair game, because that's what the rapist in this case thought, or tells us that six of them thought about Jyoti when she got on that bus with a boy who was a male friend and she was out at night, to them she had to be taught a lesson. That's precisely the words he uses. So they are programmed. And we're not dealing with rotten apples in a barrel. The barrel is rotten. The heinousness of this crime. I mean, they pulled out her intestines. I, I, you just think... My God, what was going on in their minds to do that to this this person, to objectify her so much, to not even see a real person? And, and furthermore, is that why they don't mention the name of the person that's been raped? Because if they started to do that, you would put a face on the crime. You would, you would say, that could have been my daughter. Well, I think, you know, bending over backwards to understand their point of view, I think there is cogent argument in saying that um, in a culture where shame and dishonor adheres to the victim of rape, which is absolutely outrageous and heinous and so unfair, but it is true of that culture. So in a culture like that, you want to protect the identity of the rape victim. Now, that is a sort of ridiculous, vicious circle, I'm sure you'd agree, but seeing it from their point of view, that is why they would say, we protect the identity of the rape victim by not allowing her to be named. Um, equally, yes, it does have that effect, you know, of, of numbing. <laughs> uh, she's a cipher. 
It's why I wanted to document who she was, because, you know, otherwise she's just a cipher, just another figure on the mountain of raped, violated bodies, you know? You mentioned that you rehearsed the interviews because you thought you were going to respond in a certain way and you didn't, and that was something that you learned. What else did you learn in the process, either about this person that you're you're reporting on or the rapist or just yourself as an artist well a great deal and almost in every case it was accompanied by this you know reversal of expectation as i say with every reversal came an insight i also expected these men to feel something of some glimmer of remorse you know in 31 hours And when one of them, the one who had raped the five-year-old, had been incarcerated at that point for five years, you'd think that in that amount of time, he would have processed it, he would have come to some realization of his guilt and how wrong this was and feel some remorse. Not a jot of it. None of them expressed one second of remorse in 31 hours. And the reason for that is, again, they don't believe fundamentally that they've done anything wrong. And when I asked the rapist of the five-year-old at the end of the interview, help me, please, I beg you, help me to understand how you cross that line from wanting to do this to a little creature who's standing there and is five years old and is this high, and you've described everything about her terror and her, you know, I can picture her now, so now I don't understand how you can actually want to do this and then cross that line and do it. And he looked at me like I was off another planet for even asking him the question. And he said exactly this, I have it on film, he said, she was a beggar girl, her life was of no value. And that is what it comes down to, so that is a huge insight for me. It's all about value. You know, when in Rwanda, the Hutu regime wanted a genocide committed on another tribe, the Tutsis, what did they do? They started a propaganda campaign, as the Nazis did before the Holocaust. This is humanity, you know, since time immemorial. You devalue a life in order to make it easier for it to be snuffed out. So the Hutu regime starts this, actually it was a radio campaign in Rwanda, and they start this campaign in which they're calling the Tutsis cockroaches. So if someone's a cockroach, you can take your foot and stamp him out. And, you know, ISIS is beheading people. Why? Because they're infidels, they're of a different religion, so they're of no value. It all comes down to value. And the fight we're fighting as women and girls and these violations of our rights across the world and this this horrendous abuse of women and girls. I mean, what are we talking about when women who are or should be half the world's population, women who bring us all into the world, are devalued? if I can sift through and find a silver lining with this, is her sacrifice, her ultimate sacrifice, the legacy that is going to be created from what happened to her is really so powerful. And 
it's just sad that she had to go through this, but what a monumental thing this is going to do to hopefully empower a, a change. Indeed, and Mark, I pledge myself, I commit myself to that change because, you know, this was my first documentary and my first directing uh, experience. It's also my last until an education initiative that I have now committed my life to because I've become an activist now. Mm -hmm. I cannot have these searing, blindingly clear insights and step aside from them and just go off and make another film about another subject. If you know and do nothing, then you're as guilty as the perpetrator. Correct. Absolutely. All of us, if we are silent, we collude. That's for sure. The film was actually banned in India, correct? It was, and it was banned without the regime actually even seeing it. Isn't that shocking? Has it been shown yet or no? No. It's still banned. There have been four adjournments of a court case, uh, a petition brought by two, um, a journalist and, and a social activist who have petitioned a court to lift this undemocratic, unconstitutional, and I would add idiotic, blind and misguided ban, uh, a ban that brings shame on India. They've accused me of bringing shame on India. That's why they've banned the film, um, you know, ever sensitive to their image and their economic uh, program internationally and accused me of decimating their tourist industry, etc. Well, what brings shame upon them is the ban, of course, not the film, because everyone else in the rest of the world looks at this film and is perfectly willing to introspect and say, yes, we're guilty too. This isn't just an India problem. It's global. It happens in our country, too. One in four girls on college campuses is raped in the U.S. In the U.K., one in three girls between the ages of 13 and 17 experience sexual violence. The figure for genital mutilation in Egypt is 96%. Isn't that horrendous? And we must not forget, and don't worry, I'm not going to be very graphic with this but really we must not forget when we say fgm and have all these you know uh, neat little acronyms for things which come trippingly off the tongue fgm let's not forget what that actually is what men are doing to women we really have to band together now and say we're not having this anymore we've looked at slavery we've looked at race We've even looked, and I'm thrilled to say we have, at the LGBT community, and they are much further on than women are. India's Daughter is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. For more information about the film, visit indiasdaughter2.com. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage. Meryl Streep said when she launched this film, and she's so amazing, she said Jyoti was not just India's daughter, she's our daughter too.